Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. And welcome to the Sega Talk podcast. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. He's to the left or right of me if you're watching this on video. And on this episode, I'm very, very excited. We're talking about one of my favorite games, Jet Set Radio Future. And yeah. I think it's pretty apt that we're talking about this right now for two reasons. Number one, well, three reasons. So number one, Xbox Series X was just kind of detailed this week. Mm, and yeah, so... You know, we're talking about one of the original Xbox games, and now we're talking about the fourth iteration of the Xbox. I think that's pretty big. Secondly, PSO2 is going, the live beta is starting, I believe, in one or two days from recording mm, this. That's true. Um, I'm diving in. I'm getting one in Xbox. Uh, and I bring that up because that's the same feeling I felt with Jet Set Radio Future. I was like... I was sitting on the fence. I was like, I don't own an Xbox. And we'll get into this later on. But yeah. like, I was just like, I don't own an Xbox. And then I saw Jet Set Radio Future. And I was like, I got to get one. Damn it. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And it, with Xbox uh, One, I'm getting one for PSO2. But I see people going, oh, you're finally getting one. Check out all those games. And I'm like, I don't care, dude. It's just a PSO2 machine to me. Let's be honest. For now, yeah, well, in Retro Replay, like, I mean, there's a few games that I kind of want to get because they have, like, that weird Japanese style. I think you even said you wanted uh, Sunset Overdrive. Yeah, I do want to get that. Yeah, yeah, so there's a few games, I mean, but it's crazy. Like, I know we're, we were talking about this is the first Xbox, and now we're in the fourth one. It's it's so crazy how much the Xbox uh, changed its course, like... When it was early on, they kind of didn't know what they wanted to be, so they had, like, Jet Set Radio, Future mm-hmm. being a exclusive, Panzer Dragoon, a bunch of Sega stuff. Yeah. They had silly games they developed in-house, and now it's, like, kind of like they know their, fun, their pillars. I guess they're, they are funding Fantasy Star Online, too, but their pillars seem to be, like, Gears of War, Forza, those yeah. kind of games. Yeah. So it's And those do nothing for me. Like, they yeah, seriously same. don't. I don't care. Um, the third thing <laughs> was... We are in the middle of the COVID COVID nineteen crisis, right? The start of it, middle. Yep. I don't know. The um, rise of uh, the rise of the rollerbladers. To go exactly. And so when you play Jet Set Radio Future in those later stages, like it kind of feels like it does now. Like you're afraid to go out. You know, yeah. you feel like you're locked down. The the golden rhinos are outside walking around the streets. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's kick this off. So released in February two thousand two in March in Europe. For Microsoft's Xbox, Jet Set Radio Future, called JSRF, was a break from the developer's recent run of Let's Make Sports titles. And I'm talking about Smilebit. At that yes. time, they were... I mean, you you look at your shelf here in America, you got maybe three Smilebit games. You go in Japan, you could have half a dozen to a dozen. Like, they were making a lot of games that didn't make it over here. Hundred Swords, that's another mm-hmm. one. Um, but yeah, Jet Set Radio. So, Jet Set Radio Future was less of a sequel and more of a reimagining, and I like to consider it kind of like a remix. The entire world of Jet Set Radio was given a slightly futuristic feel, featuring returning characters, new designs, brand new characters, larger worlds, 
and new gameplay mechanics. So George, how did you first hear about Jet Set Radio Future? When did you first play it, and what were your first impressions? So, I first heard about it when uh, Xbox, like, when they did the whole deal, and the the Xbox magazine was, like, showing off that there was going to be a new Panzer Dragoon, and then uh, there was going to be a new Jet Set Radio. I think Sega GT was also talked about in Toe Jam 3, and a Mm -hmm. few other games. It was like, they were trying to court all the Sega fans from the Dreamcast over to the Xbox. Yeah. Um, And it was obvious, obvious at the time, because, like... They even had Peter Moore, I think, at the time, uh, launch it. Um, And so I was pretty much already kind of like all hands on deck, but at the same time, I kind of didn't want to buy an Xbox because (laughs) I just literally bought a Dreamcast and it was already, they were out of the console business and I still had a lot of games at the time I wanted to play on Dreamcast. Mm -hmm. So I kind of waited a little bit before buying one, but when I eventually bought one, I uh, obviously had all the Sega games. And the Xbox, like I said in the beginning, it's a, it's an odd little console because it has all the Halo uh, sports games. Like, this is at the time when there was like five sports games. I think even Microsoft had their own. And uh, the weird part was when they did all these little like quirky games that nobody really talks about anymore, like Blinks. They had their own mm-hmm. mascot platformer. That was strange. So, but yeah, I I remember first playing this game and being kind of disappointed that they took elements out of the first one when I first played it. But the more I played it, the more I appreciated how much bigger the world were in this game. It really made the power. It really showed you how powerful the Xbox was compared to the PS2 or GameCube because this game featured really massive stages, and mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest takeaway when I uh, from this game, and I still remember from now on was how big it was. But them taking out the QTEs. Maybe it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but at the time right. it was pretty disappointing and like the new art style is like different coloring. It's like light greens and light like weird like I guess what they thought was futuristic looking compared yeah. to the more bright colors from the first game. Mm-hmm. But, but uh I don't know which ones I like. I think I like the first game uh visually better, like the way yeah. it's the art style is and the colors pop. But I, I, I do really appreciate the big levels in this one. But uh, what mm-hmm. about you? Uh, yeah, so for me, I'm trying to like put everything in context for the time, so I kind of have to look at release dates and stuff to jog my memory. But I remember seeing, I think in print, that Jet Set Radio was getting a sequel, but it was going to be in the Xbox. And, you know, at the time, your stomach, like as a Sega fan, your stomach dropped constantly mm-hmm. throughout 2001, 2002. Because, like, on, it, it was both kind of like, ugh, it just like took it out of you when you were like, another nail in the Dreamcast coffin, another franchise that you're not getting another game on the Dreamcast for. The other thing is, you know, at the time, at least for me, I was, uh, geez, how old was I? 2001, 84, 94. So I was a teenager. I had some money, but I didn't have enough to own every console at the time. So I was just Mm. like, God damn it. Like, I can't afford all of this, and I want to play all these games. With Dreamcast, it was like a $200 investment. You get all the Sega games. Now it's like, I got to get a PS2. I got to get GameCube. I got to get an Xbox. So I really had to, like, make my decisions. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure Jet Set Radio Future was announced after I already committed to getting a PS2. And I'll be honest, looking back, PS2 is not the best choice because, like, what was... There was Res, but you could import that. Little did I, I guess, know. Uh, I guess it, it, it depends on if you were going to play other companies' games. Because, like, PS2 had the most games. About, like, For sure. 
But if you're a Sega fan, uh, the Xbox exclusives were like top tier. Like the fact yeah. that Panzer Dragoon had another game that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're not even got... mentioning like Crazy Taxi Three, mm-hmm. uh, Otogi, Otogi Two, um, Gun Valkyrie. So there was a lot of uh, exclusives. Thankfully, though, so what happened was I I I saw that first trailer video. I think I downloaded it from the internet. It took forever. But when I saw that, I was like, this is so amazing. Like, these characters, they look familiar. Is that gum? Is that beat? Like, who are these guys? They look like them, but they look totally different. They looked, like, puffier, uh, sharper. The stages looked huge. I was like, can I really skate in that huge area? This is crazy. And I just made the decision. I was like, I got to play this game when it releases. So I found out about renting consoles and I rented an Xbox uh, the like week of release, picked the game up. I don't know if I bought the game or... I, I think I rented the game as well with the Xbox. I played it for like a good three days because there was like a snowstorm. I called the place. They said, yeah, just keep it for one more day. So I had Xbox over an extended weekend, finished the game, you know, save file, everything done. Later in 2002, I finally got a uh, Xbox with that... Um, that awesome deal that came with the controller oh. type S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. JSRF and um, Sega GT on the combo disc. And, and I think that's how a lot, a lot of people played it because that's like mm-hmm. the version I always see everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it does exist. I'm holding it up here. This is the retail release. Shiny foil cover. It's not super rare, but it's definitely harder to find. I got this on eBay some years ago because it was just kind of killing me to get that stupid combo disc. Because you had to sit through a few menus. It was kind of ugly. Like, they put Jet Set Radio Future on the back. I didn't like it. But, um, yeah, another thing that helped, too, uh, between that was um, Xbox Nation. I'm holding that Mm -hmm. up here. Uh, Jet Set Radio Future made their cover story. If you're wondering why, it's because uh, former official Dreamcast Magazine staff worked on Xbox Nation. So, issue one was Jet Set Radio Future. Issue two was Panzer Dragoon Orta. And that's when I started getting the magazine. And, um, yeah, it says here, let's see, uh, display until March 11th, 2002. Yeah, so, um, really, I was just kind of consuming Jet Set Radio Future as I could until I got that console. I replayed the game again, replayed it again and again. I haven't unlocked all the characters, but I definitely, you know, repeated the game multiple times. Uh, I, I just would boot it up and just explore... Um, and I think that's that's really what makes it stand apart from Jet Set Radio is that it's so uh, it's such a chill, casual expira- exploration game once you complete it. Yeah. And um, I really like that. So yeah, uh, that's my that's my long story about Jet Set Radio. I just I have so many memories of playing this game. Um, sometimes we do these Sega talks, and I'm just kind of listening to your memories, or I'm that's trying true. to like pick my mind and be like. I guess I played Daytona USA, you know. Yeah, but you're a big, huge Jet Set Radio fan. Like, if you look at any articles on the site that are Jet Set Radio based, it's probably mm-hmm. Barry that made those articles. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Jet Set Radio Future was actually um, this company was printing out life size uh, stickers, vinyl stickers for your walls, and I looked up where they were, and they were actually like three or four blocks from where I worked at the time. So I called them. I'm like, "Can I come and visit?" I write for a Sega fan site. They were like, sure. So I, if you look online on Sega Memories, there's actually an article about me visiting them. It was just two guys with a giant printer. 
But oh, uh, n- not as exciting as you thought, right? No, I was basically Sega gave them all the assets to use, and then they could they had the the uh, license to print them, and so they were like, "Do you want a sample?" And I was like, "Can you make uh, Bisu or Riff in the largest possible?" Because I had a crush on her. Yeah, so, yeah of course. <laughs> so of course I'd kiss the wall when I had that. No. Um, so yeah, so uh, let's get into it. I have so much to say about Jet Set Radio Future. Um, but one fun, fun fact I came across is that at one point, Sega of America considered releasing the game as JGRF, Jet Grind Radio Future, to match the retitled localization of the original. And this uh... information comes from a March 2001 press release from Microsoft for Tokyo Game Show. George, do you think they made the right decision in not choosing that title? Yeah, because, I mean, I'm already tired of Sega always, like, changing, like, as a writer, right? Like, I yeah. know this is, it doesn't really mean much. Like, I think consumers would be like, all right, grind, set, whatever. But as a person that, like, talks about these games, it'd be very annoying. I just, like, gave up, right? I don't, Jet Set, Jet Set Radio, that's what it's called, in my mind forever. I, yeah. I'm never going to write Jet Grind Radio. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate the, that we did the same thing with the Sega Mega Drive, I mean, Sega Mega Drive and Genesis, I'm like, just give me one name, please. Just stick with one, even if the name is Poop. Like, the drink, the Sega Poop console. I don't care. Yeah. Just give me one name. That's all yeah. I want. So, definitely a plus for me. Yeah, yeah. it was, um, I think Jet Grind Radio came about because of Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of grind mechanics were popular at the time. They just, they, I've heard it said that it was because Jet Set Radio was already like copyrighted i don't think i don't think that's the case i think they were trying to appeal to a different audience and it becomes all the more apparent when you look at the localization of jet grind radio where they add those stages with the americans and there's like uh new york it kind of looks like new york chicago and then there's grind square yeah. uh there's goth girls they have rob zombie you know so it's like they were really tr- they were given this jet set radio game and they were like we got to let this appeal to americans and i think that was a big mistake and that's because i think jet set radio is at its best when it's uniquely japanese and you saw that mistake again with yakuza you know and they were trying to localize that over here and they started saying trying to treat it like it was uh, grand theft auto and it's yeah, not yeah yeah i think so- i no i agree 100% with you and i and i also do agree with you that a lot of people, I think we talked about this in the other episode of Jet Set, Jet Set Radio, where we, you guys could watch. It's in our past episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, where basically all my friends thought it was supposed to be like a Tony Hawk game with ro- rollerblading and cartoon graphics. But no, mm-hmm. no it wasn't. No. It's totally different. <laughs> it's like way it more arcade Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about Smilebit here. So uh, as you mentioned, George... Um, if you want to learn more about Smilebit, you can check out Jet Set Radio episode of Sega Talk. It was episode 10 where we talked about the history of the team. But I'm just going to briefly go over it here in case people don't want to jump back uh, 30 episodes. So Smilebit, they existed in the public eye for only four short years. Yet in that time, they managed to create one of the company's most unique franchises, revived a classic Saturn franchise, and contributed to a long-running series of popular Japanese sports titles and managed to create a few new franchises that have gone on to become true hidden gems. Smilebit was actually the bringing together of Sega AM6, Team Aquila, Team Andromeda, 
and the G9 team, though some staff ended up moving to United Game Artists. This mix of talent led to Smilebit being primarily tasked with the Let's Make series of sports titles, franchises that were largely confined to Japan, and they utilized former Team Andromeda staff. The team had spearheaded the largest and thus far last, oh, the latest and thus far last Panzer Dragoon games. Um, but what really made Smilebit unique were their new franchises, including Jet Set Radio, Gun Valkyrie, and Hundred Swords. So, where does Smilebit rank for you amongst all of Sega's development teams since the beginning to now? Uh, okay, so if you asked me, like, during the Dreamcast era, I, I was probably like, oh, legit top three. But, like, mm-hmm. now that, you know, you look at the discography and how they were disbanded so early... Yeah. Definitely, like at least maybe sixth. I, I and I know people are going to be like, "Oh, you can't name all these teams." Like, <laughs> can we really say that they're better than Sonic Team even at their prime? Like all the hits they got, or AM Two, AM One. There's all these teams, or even the new yeah. Yakuza Studio. Yeah, uh, they didn't get the time to like grow, right? If we still had Smile, but now I'm pretty sure top three, right? Like I, yeah. I believed in the talent there, and as far as the Pen- being the last Pen's Dragoon game. They just announced that VR Panzer Dragoon game, so yeah, not going to be the last one. Definitely not. But it, yeah. it, it looks kind of weird, but it, it's going to be Groundling, right? Like, we don't know yet, right? I, I I think so. I'm not sure, but it's a lot of remakes. They haven't done anything new, mm. you know? You know, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And uh, uh, what, do you, what do you think? I love Smilebit, but I will agree that their gameography is really... I mean, outside of three games, it's not anywhere near as impressive as some of other Sega Studios. Like, I think Gun Gun Valkyrie is a great idea, but it's a flawed game. Hundred Swords did make it over here as PC, but I've never played it, but it looks okay. And then all the sports stuff's fine. You know, it's just... I really feel like Smilebit, when you look at the past of Sega and the future, it really feels like a mix of the Yakuza team, uh, Team Andromeda... And the current Mario and Sonic team. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a mix of those sorts of games. Um, but I do love them. I love their logo. I love their name. Um, I'd, I'd agree probably top six, top five. But, uh, you know, I mean, I'd put them as above United Game Artists, I think. Oof. No, no, I, I would have to agree with you, like, in the yeah. long term. Space Channel 5 was... Not as big as Jet Set Radio, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, the cell shading, the energy it brought. I love Space Channel 5, but come on. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we could sit here and do a ranking all night, but it's up there, but I, I think they deserve more time to truly shine. Um, let's talk about the game itself. So, as you mentioned at the beginning, it, it's different from Jet Set Radio. So, rather than time stages, the game embraced an open-world setting, Graffiti, which was handled by thumbstick movements in the original, was simplified to a single button, and enemy battles took place separately from stage exploration and graffiti tagging. Despite these many changes, JSRF retains retains much of what made Jet Set Radio such a unique experience, and if anything, the changes make JSRF just as fun and exciting as experiencing the original for the first time. So let's dig into the gameplay a little bit there. Uh, how did you react to the change? Do you prefer the original or the sequel? Um, you know, this is actually the hard one. Like, 
I don't really like prefer one for the other. Like when mm-hmm. I pl- go back and play it, I actually kind of don't like the QTEs because like I feel like QTEs have like aged really badly. Sometimes yeah. like I don't think they do them that bad because okay, so it depends. So like when they have you just doing the random tag, uh, it's kind of stupid. It's like why do I have to do these shapes? Uh, but when they're like the cops are after you and they almost get you and then you have to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that was when it kind of shined. Like, oh, okay, it built that tension they wanted to build. Yeah. So I like that about it. Um, but I think overall, I probably prefer, prefer Future, which is funny because, like, when I first played Future, I was pretty upset about it. Mm-hmm. But going back, I think I misjudged it. Like, yeah. I wanted a sequel. I just wanted Jet Set Radio 2. And then they delivered this game where it's like a semi reboot, really. Mm hmm. But yeah, that was what. What is your opinion on the le- on the changes, like the bosses and stuff? Well, it's weird. So yeah, you, you take the two and you take each little bit that differs, and it's almost equal for me. Like there's things in Jet Set Radio I love more than Future, and vice versa. Like yeah. I I think the biggest thing missing from Jet Set Radio Future is that perfect mix of the enemies on the stage as you're spray painting and exploring. Like, I I think the boss battles and the enemy battles are the weakest uh, of this entire game. Like, it's just... Like, if you play it, you're all of a sudden, like, in a big, flat area. The boss is there, you fight them, and then you move on. It's never like they're littered amongst all the little handrails and uh, platforms. Um, But at the same time, you know that's when the QT worked. Like you said, you felt that, uh, you know, you'd look ahead and you're like, man, that's a really big one, but there's a helicopter chasing me. Do mm-hmm. I have time? Let's try it. Bump, bump, but up, 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 up. Oh, I got it. You know? Um, yeah. but here, because the bosses aren't there, you don't need to do that. So I think they, they developed wisely. I think they developed a game that works for future. So if you're looking for the gameplay of the original in this game, you're not going to find everything. But I don't think it's broken or boring or miscalculated. Like, they knew what they were doing in future. I just think that if you preferred that uh, sort of gameplay style in the original and you expect it here, you're going to be disappointed. There's a guy on the Sonic Stadium message board. I think he's like one of the big writers for them now. He hates Jet Set Radio Future, and it's because of that. And I talked uh, to him, I was QTEs like... QTEs or the bosses? or That that little mix, you know, okay. of like the bosses and the QTEs. He was like, I hate Future. And I was like, why? And he's like, it doesn't have that. And I'm like, but it has so much other stuff going on for it. You know, like, I, it's like saying you hate uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga because it doesn't have the basic rail shooting stage gameplay of the original. You know what I uh-huh. mean? Like... Yeah, but you're getting a great RPG. And I think that's kind of what you're getting here. Like, Panzer Dragoon is to Jet Set Radio as Jet Set Radio Future is to Panzer Dragoon Saga. This is a much bigger game, a much different game. It has all the the elements there that you remember, but you're getting a different experience. And I like that because it's not like Jet Set Radio Future is Sonic 2. You know, it's not like Jet Set Radio and a new move, like a boost move. It's... uh. But it does have a lot of cool things, like the boost I just mentioned. Do you remember when you tap the thumbstick, what happens? I don't know what happens when you hit the joystick. What what happens? 
or tap it. So you kind of you turn to the side and you do this like f- ground grind. So you just kind of like are like kind of like balancing on the side of your skate and grinding. And I don't know what the reasoning is, but it's just kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, there's all these like little secrets. Like, remember in the original, you could go backwards if you went ticked up, like up and down real quick on the thumbstick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of that going on here. Um, the trick system isn't as Tony Hawkish as the original. Like, you are gaining points, um, but you don't like get that end result. Really, it's just kind of like an ongoing points thing. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. I like it. Um, you unlock the graffiti souls when you do new moves. And then they appear, and then you go look for them. So there's a lot going on in this game. Um, It's just... It's a really fun game. They give you these cool characters. They give you fun moves. They give you these big open worlds. And you just... You feel really free, and you don't feel restricted. Like, it's so rare now for games to feel like Jet Set Radio Future does... And I think that's because they either limit themselves on what's possible with the character, or they just don't know how to develop a good game. Like, unfortunately, that uh, Hover Revolt of Gamers that was trying to be Jet Set Radio Future... I do own it on Steam, but, like, I haven't even played it. <laughs> it's bad. Is it? I'm really sorry to say, but it's bad. It's what's, just... What's wrong with it? Like, what doesn't it capture that uh, Jet Set Radio had? It's like they tried to emulate Jet Set Radio Future, but they built stages that like required you to climb really high mm. constantly. And they had all these like little gimmicks that were clearly them trying to cover for kind of poor development. So like a rewind feature, if you fell off, they're like, oh, use the magic rewind skates. And I'm like, oh, am I going to be falling a lot? Yeah, I am. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know... It's uh, it's hard to emulate. I I know there's loving, dedicated fans out there trying to make their own kind of semi sequels or. or uh, I remember like uh, when I used like a yeah. long time ago, like like in like after this game came out, maybe like 2006 ish. I remember there was so mm-hmm. many people online that were obviously asking for a uh, third game, and not only that, people that were just literally trying to get into uh, game development on Dreamcast. So they can make a sequel to Jet or a third game themselves, right? And I think I'm yeah. not, that's why I wasn't that surprised when Hover finally kind of came out. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that want a new Jet Set Radio, so Hover just kind of makes sense. But I yeah. mean, it's not as yeah. easy as uh, you think. Absolutely not. And um, you know, I think it it too is a special mix of the people behind the game. Uh, the country it comes from, I think Jet Set Radio is a very Japanese game, even though it doesn't sell well in Japan. It doesn't have to, to be a very Japanese game. Um, I mean, look at Shenmue. It's a very Japanese game, but it didn't sell well either. Yeah. Um, or it didn't sell enough. I mean, every person who owned a Dreamcast had to buy Shenmue, basically. And they didn't. And they but, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get into the game's development here. Uh, little has been written about the game's development, no doubt because Sega didn't give this game the same level of marketing as the Dreamcast original. If you remember um, Jet Set Radio, you'd have magazine interviews with the with the developers. Uh, I have two magazine interviews with them. But here, it, it really felt like they weren't uh, either allowing Americans to interview them or having them visit American studios or anything, really. Uh 
I mean, on top of this, I think Smile Bit was incredibly busy as a studio. They had three major titles released within a year. Yeah, that's insane. The original game. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Jet Set Radio Future, uh, Panzer Dragoon Orta, and Gun Valkyrie came out all in 2002. Well, I think Gun Valkyrie is the worst one out of those three, because obviously, let's be yeah. honest. But, like, I still feel like uh, Panzer Dragoon Orta is the best-looking game on the Xbox. So, like, the fact that they released mm-hmm. these three games back-to-back, it's insane to me. Yeah, it's it's really wild. Um, and, you know, the original game, too, with the cell shading, with Jet Set Radio Future, I think that's why it really caught the attention of the... of the public and of uh, people writing magazines at the time. I think when the sequel came out, it was kind of seen as a footnote, like, oh, and there was a sequel. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, you you very rarely see retrospectives going on online. Even like Hardcore Gaming 101 and other sites like that that usually have deep dives, it's really surface level. It's basically talking about the gameplay. So, and nothing wrong with that, but like, there's nothing where they're like, we talked to the developer and they said this. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did find one interview. It's not that interesting, but it's an interview with Rich Briggs, who is a project, a product manager for Jet Set Radio Future. And this is from January 2001 with XboxAddict.com. More and larger was the common theme with all of Rich's answers. So I'll, I'll read it just because this is the only interview I could find. So he was asked about the game. Uh, He said the levels in Jet Set Radio Future, which are all completely new, are often ten times larger than those of Jet Grind Radio. With all that memory, the team was able to create huge interactive areas for players to explore. Everything from the people in vehicles to the birds to the trash on the ground blowing around as you grind past is designed to make you feel like you're living in breathing environments. Uh, Some of the same locations have returned, but in name only. The actual layout, layout of these areas is completely new, so in reality, none of the old levels are present. Think of it as going back to the same city as Jet Grind Radio, but it's been a few years and things have been changed. In addition to this, there are a ton of completely new locations, over 15 unique stages in all, many more than the five in Jet Grind Radio. JSRS, JSRF has 24 playable characters compared to 11 in Jet Grind Radio. All of your favorites have returned, but they've grown up a little. On top of that, you've got a bunch of new characters to unlock. So, do you think JSRF delivered on this promise? And do you think Sega could have done more in their marketing by showcasing the size of the game? I mean, they could have definitely done more for the marketing. I do remember uh, the only time I really read about uh, them kind of uh, slandering. I remember reading that the first Jet Set Radio game was impossible on PS2. I don't know how true that is. I think we talked about it in the other podcast. But, like, on mm-hmm. this one, being ten times the size, I I don't know if it was ten times the size. I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to talk about because, like, in Jet Set Radio, they kind of connected in the end, right? Um, but, yeah. I, I, I mean, I never really thought and went in and went, like, I'm going to measure this and see how, you know what I mean? Like, do a scientific <laughs> video on measuring if it really is ten times size. But it did feel really, really, really big. Like, so big where I kind of felt overwhelmed for a while. Where you have to like play it and play it and play it and then you figure out, okay, this little corner here goes to this. And it, I felt the same way with the first game though, when you started connecting things. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think they did. I mean, is there something that he said that was uh, was uh, untrue? I mean, they did double everything. No, and it, and it no. really did feel like 
they put a lot of time and effort into this game with assets when you go back and look at it, especially having 24 characters. Mm-hmm. But how how much effort did they put into the moveset of each character? I, I have no idea. I don't remember them being that, like... I mean, are they that different that they that it's something that's like, uh, I don't know, a feat, I guess you could say? Yeah, I mean... There are a lot new, a lot of new characters. Uh, honestly, I think some of them look a little cheesy, a little, you know, they're not badly designed, but they're just kind of like, really, you did that. Um, the names are kind of silly too. Did they bring back uh, the American ones? That's the thing. So, in the original, Cube, Combo, and Coin. Coin was a new guy, but he wasn't playable. He was just in cutscenes. Um, they were the American characters. In the original game, you just kind of come across them. So Cube looked a little different, not as gothy. Combo was a Japanese guy because, I mean, he had that big yen necklace, if you remember. Um, and then Coin wasn't there. So, yeah, it Jet Set Radio Future is definitely a sequel, like, not a sequel, but like it's a follow-up from Jet Set Radio. Jet, Jet Grind Radio doesn't exist. No. You know, like even the character names... Which we'll get into. Uh, there was a lot of changes between the games, like Jet Set Radio, Jet Grind Radio, and Jet Set Radio Future would have the same character in all three of them, but three different names. But at the very least, for the most part, if a returning character was there, they would have their original Jet Set Radio name instead of the Jet Grind Radio okay, name. Okay. I mean, that's a yeah. good thing. It, it's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> the Jet Set Radio universe is very, very vast. Yeah. And we're going to get into the plot pretty soon, so buckle oh. up. Uh, but um, as far as the size of the stages, I I don't disbelieve him. There was a lot going on in this game. I think what you might forget is that there are a lot of stages that you only see once. Mm. Like there would be ones where it's like the sewers, which are massive, but you're not returning to the sewers constantly. Like there will be long stretches, and then you're like, did I just reach the bottom? I guess I'm not coming back here again. You yeah. know. Uh, It's not like in the original Jet Set Radio, like, um, there was that stage where it was kind of like a, uh, a work site. Remember that? You go down to the bottom Uh and then you could go down underground in the sewers and then come up through a neighborhood that was connected by a series of building rooftops. And that seems huge, but when you really look at it, it's kind of deceptively small. Yeah, they did um, a really good job making it feel bigger than it was on Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, and I think with Jet Set Radio Future, they were legitimately huge levels, but you blazed through them either through grinding or going downhill, so you didn't really notice uh, the size of the game, I think, because you were like, oh, I'm not coming back to that, either because you were like that. Like with the sewers, I know people hate the sewers. Yeah, a lot of... Uh, I think a lot of that's the... That's where I got stuck. A lot of the comments... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people hate the sewers. Um, I I don't mind the sewers, but we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, so let's get into the plot. So like the first game, Jet Set Radio Future has a pretty crazy story, yet much of it feels like a retelling of the original. So I'm going to read the, the brief synopsis. Tell me if you don't think this just sounds like Jet Set Radio. So Jet Set Radio Future is set in Tokyoto, Japan in 2024 where a street game known as the GGs are fighting for control over the streets against rival gangs, as well as the big and powerful corporation known as the Rokaku Group, led by Goji Rokaku. 
The Rokaku Group is attempting to seize control of Tokyo by force and convert it into a totalitarian police state. What do you think? Yeah, it, it does sound a lot like the first game. I guess if you already have a good story, <laughs> you just uh, reuse it, right? Well, exactly. Like, if you're thinking that's the same story, maybe it's a reboot. I think you're right. So the lead art director, Ryuta Ueda, and composer Hideki Naganuma have both stated uh, through Twitter interactions and interviews that while many of the characters look similar, though usually not quite the same to those of Jet Set Radio, JSRF's story takes place, quote, with other characters in another world in another timeline, meaning it's not simply set chronologically after the first game, and this is evidenced by the fact that the characters have seemingly never met mm. at the beginning of Jet Set Radio Future, which I'll admit was off-putting because at the time I was like, okay, I remember what happened at the end of Jet Set Radio. What's happening next? Like, are they going to be like, years passed and the GGs are back? Instead, I mean, we'll get into it, but like you kick off and you're like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's test your knowledge. I don't know if you're reading ahead in the notes, but... Who is the main character of Jet Set Radio Future? I know it wasn't Beat. It was... Uh, I can't even remember. I haven't played the game in so long. I haven't had an Xbox in, like... <clears throat> um, who is the main character of the game? It's Yo-Yo. Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo. Is, is that the guy with the hoodie? Yeah, okay. so in the original Yo-Yo... He was the hardest one to unlock, he had wasn't he, on the first game? <sighs> I remember, like... He was... Sorry, go on. Because hmm. I was remembering the, the first hardest game. one to unlock. Because I remember the first game. Yeah, the hardest. Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, 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 go on. Say, I, it was the guy with the red hair, right, with the green hoodie. No, he was difficult. Yeah. yeah, he was a race, and he's almost impossible on the Game Boy Advance version of the oh. game. Like I've played it. I was playing that. I'm like, this is cool. I like this. I got up to that. I'm like, I hit a wall. I've hit that wall for ten years. Oh, God. I have not beaten that game. So it they sucks. probably played the Dreamcast and they're like, oh, he's really hard. You know what? Let's make it next to impossible on the GBA version too. Okay. Yeah, it's like no failure. It's a race where you cannot make a single mistake. Um, but yeah, so GG like or GG Yo Yo. At the time, so uh, the original Jet Set Radio, and I might have brought this up on the original uh, Sega Talk we did. My best friend in high school, he and I, we loved this game. We would draw the characters. We both hated Yo-Yo. And I... Well, I have to look him up I shouldn't please. say that. Go on. Because I'm trying to I what like. I secretly liked drawing Yo-Yo because he was easy, because he had a big puffy coat, big pants, uh, 3D glasses, just a little like Cheshire cat grin. He very easy to draw, and I kind of liked that. So I kind of I draw him like fighting with the dog. I draw him like hanging out, and my friend would tease me. He's like, "You're drawing Yo-Yo. You're not drawing all the cute girls. Like, what's wrong with you?" Um, she told him, dude. And and the yo -yo well, the thing is, Jet Set Radio Future came out, and he said to me, "Yo-Yo is the coolest character in this game. Like, he wanted to be Yo-Yo to the point where he bought a messenger bag like Yo-Yo had. He was wearing a hoodie like Yo-Yo had. So I was like, okay." Like, and I'll be honest, I think Yo-Yo is one of the best designed characters in Jet Set Radio Future. I think he looks really cool. So you like his redesign better than his old design? Oh, God, yeah. Like, it's it's night and day. Like, uh, it's just putting the hood down, putting the messenger bag on. I like the idea of, like, cargo shorts. Um, That's what I was thinking. It's it, just, feels like, it looks like his other pants from the first one, but he just, like, just, like, put them up as shorts. 
like yo-yo is what i wanted to be as a teenager like i wanted to dress like that uh and that's what actually i got a messenger bag and the messenger bags were like not that big with guys like it was kind of seen as like a purse or something it's funny cause and i was like, like now really yeah. popular right now yeah yeah but i was getting i was in the messenger bag thing well before anyone else because of uh yo-yo um so yeah so basically jsrf kicks off with the player controlling yo-yo who aspires to join the ggs and you'd think beat was a member of the ggs no no so after a series of tutorials yo-yo corn and gum form the initial core team and beat who's the face of the franchise and star of the first game joins the team later and he's actually referred to as quote a low life and a rumor spreading scumbag (laughs) um Strangely, despite not being the main character, towards the end of the game, the GGs battle robotic copies of Beat, called Zero Beat, created by Goji Rokaku. So I guess Zero and Yo... Like, I guess Zero Yo-Yo doesn't sound as cool, I don't know. Yeah, Zero Um, does sound way better. What do you make of this change, and do you think Sega didn't think Yo-Yo was as strong a character to use on the cover art and marketing? I think you're probably right about the yo-yo thing because I was just thinking like every time you see merchandise of the game, it's all it's almost always beat, uh, beat shirt, yeah. uh, beat like even those insert coin shirts. I think they do uh, gums sometimes. So gum and beat to me seem to be like the most popular characters of the franchise, and yeah. even the cover of the American was beat. Uh, so the the whole idea that he's not even the main character was kind of interesting and the. I, I forgot all about the low life thing, but I do remember like being surprised <laughs> that like some of the main characters you didn't unlock them until like a quarter way of the game at least. So that, yeah. that was always kind of interesting. I do uh, Yo Yo being the main character is kind of weird. I guess I, I think the team just wanted to like put us on our heels, right? Like trying to like subvert expectations. Uh, to me, I would yeah. have just made it a sequel because that's what I really wanted at the time, and I still think that's kind of what I want. And it's and it's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, what do you think as a hardcore? You're way more hardcore into Jetsa Radio than I was. Like, what do you think about yeah. the changes? Were you off put by them at the time initially? I I was confused. I was trying to work out in my head how this could have been a sequel, um, and I probably my second playthrough, I started to get it. I was like, okay, it's like a retelling. A remake. I mean, remakes weren't really big at that time. Reboots weren't really big. So it was kind of like, I, I guess they disbanded and then they came back together again. But honestly, I think it would have been smarter to just do a full-on sequel. I think you could have told the same story and just been like, Goji Rokaku's back. The GGs had a falling out and you're trying to bring the gang back together. Like, And there's more than enough new characters that then... They could be like, all right, we got the core team back, but we need to get more. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, it doesn't hurt the game at all, honestly. Like, people don't talk about the story of the original that much. Um, and to be quite honest, like, the story, it's all over the place. It's super goofy. Of course. Um, if you if you want me to get into it, I will. I'll, I wrote way too many notes on it, and honestly, I don't know if I want to read through <laughs> this, but... Uh, I'll just blast through it here. So basically, it's like the original. The rival gangs are fighting the police and the Rokaku group. Um, there's just like a lot of twists, a lot of uh, like characters getting kidnapped, characters coming back. Uh, Yo-Yo being a main character is a surprise. I think the biggest surprise also is that Cube, 
who was just a normal girl wanting to join the Gigi's in the Japanese original and the American goth girl in the American version. Um, she's actually the leader of Poison Jam in this one, which is really weird. They're the... Uh, yeah, uh, the rival? I, like the monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you fight you fight Cube for this statue called the Goddess of the Street. It doesn't really come up that much in the game after that. Yo-Yo gets kidnapped, kind of like how Potts does, meaning you can't play as Yo-Yo, which is kind of weird. But I like it because it forces you then to not play as the main character. Check out some of the other ones. Uh, there's new gangs. The Noise Tanks come back. The Immortals, which are a new like mummy group. Mm. Yo-Yo's freed. He turns on the GGs under control of the Noise Tanks. You play this game called Death Ball. I didn't like this part because you were basically locked out of the entire open world and forced to play this like sporting event inside an arena where you pass the ball. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and that was where uh, the multiplayer came into play. So if you wanted to play multiplayer later on, you could play Death Ball with your friends. Not as fun as like open skating throughout the world, which I kind of hope they were going to do, but they didn't. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so before Death Ball finishes, the police break it up. You learn that the real Yo-Yo is actually somewhere else, and the guy you saw was a wannabe. Uh, the Golden Rhinos come back. They're a Yakuza kind of ga- uh, gang. Goji Rokaku sets up a tower in Shibuya Terminal. He transmits an evil broadcast that attempts to control the minds of the people of the city. The GGs arrive and are absorbed into the tower, where Goji turns into a giant monster after his defeat and apparent death, the game's ends. game ends, and, you know, I haven't mentioned him yet, but Professor K, who is back, he talks about how the hearts of men are easily corrupted by greed. Thank you, Professor so what K. Do you th- Jesus Christ, Wait, what do you think Professor of that? Professor K have the same voice actor in this one? He did, yeah, but he had, like, white yeah, hair. Yeah, he had white hair that was, like, spiky. And Those same spikes, but more spikes, right? Yeah, and the weirdest, weirdest thing is that you know, Jet Set, in Jet Set Radio, the original one, he was completely separate. He never interacted with the mm-hmm. characters. But then there's a scene where they actually ripped his studio out of the building, and he's, like, dangling, and they're, like, taking him through the streets, and it's really weird. You, I thought it was actually kind of cool that they kind of, like, finally, sh- like, he's finally coming out of his uh, studio, I guess, in a way. I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty cool, little touch, just, but yeah, like... It's weird because, like, he just looks like an older version of himself. So it's like, that's why, I, and it's called Future. Like, that's why I always just assumed it was, like, a sequel when you bought it, right? Because, like, yeah. right when you see him, I'm like, is this a sequel? But, it, like you said, Yo-Yo is the main character, and some of the characters are totally different, like, in, in the way yeah. that they interact. But uh, as my thoughts about the, the, the story, I mean, I think there's a reason a lot of people don't talk about the lore behind this game <laughs> on the Twitter, I think, was sold... The game is its gameplay and its um, yeah. art style. I think the art style probably sold it the most. I think that's why a lot of people remember it. Uh, so I don't think it's a big deal to have all these like twists like, oh, get this person getting kidnapped. I mean, when you play these kind of games, you need objectives. Um, so that yeah. kind of makes sense. To me, they didn't really need to have a story. Just have a radio station, some silly scenes, and objectives for me to, you know... Uh, skate and enjoy the graphics and stuff. So I think this game did it just fine. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I pretty much agree with you. I mean, the story is good when you're playing the game. It's not good in reading. Yeah, of course. Like when you're going through it, you're like, 
oh, I get to, I have to go from here to there because so and so is kidnapped or so and so is a robot. And, uh, like, don't get me wrong, it, I actually really love the characters, yeah. and I don't think the points of the story, like you said, they were kind of mundane. But I feel like the characters themselves, like how vibrant and uh, energetic they come off as, and like how they, you know, design them. I think that sells right. the franchise more than the actual story and objectives within the game. That's it. Yeah, and, and the characters, I think the characters are are really well designed. I know I said a few of them were kind of weak. Um, I guess we'll get into that pretty soon here. But, like, uh, they're not characters that really have, they don't emote. You know, you're not going to have a, an emotional scene. You're not going to have, they're just kind of like, they're all kind of at that same level of, kind of edginess you know it's not like there's one character who comes off as super grumpy and angry and another one who's like super perky and happy oh yeah they're all kind of like they're all tuned to the same level so it's not like you're getting you're not going to have like the sugary sweet girl and then the grumpy brooding guy like you do with a lot of games like all of them can fit into the story equally and i think that's that makes sense because you can pick anyone to play any level. So, you know, it doesn't come off as weird to be playing as a uh, combo as opposed to playing as like riff or something. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, they're all, they all slot into the story pretty easily. It's not like you're going to go, Oh, this is weird. It's not like, um, Sonic forces where you can design a character and they look really goofy. And then there's an emotional scene and you're like, uh, this doesn't work. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It was kind of, that, that yeah, game was like, very strange. When you're like walking around with a gamer hat and like, like just looking ridiculous. Like I made my character in forces. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, characters. I'm not going to take too long cause there's like 24 of them, but, uh, the returning ones, you know, there's some pretty big changes. So, talking about name changes, Korn, known as Kon in the Japanese original Jet Set Radio, changed to Tab in the European and North American one. They even changed the graffiti. They changed the katakana on his hat. Um, or kanji? Which one is that? Is, I, I get it confused. I'm not an expert in the language, so I'm going to say yes. I'm not either. I mean, I'm a guy who was going to go to Japan in April and it got postponed, so I kind of... Stop. It, it lets you... Yeah, you just stop studying it. You're like, eh. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, but he's back to being corn in Jet Set Radio Future. However, he looks totally different. Like, he used to wear just like a mechanics outfit with a hat, with a, a, a beanie. Now he's wearing like a crazy brimmed hat that like goes really high. He's got flaming shirt, uh, flames on his pants. He's got like... A yellow shirt, a jacket. He looks crazy. I he, love him. He I think... reminds me of like um, I don't know if you read comics, but the guy that did the art for uh, Mobius, the the guy that did the art for Pan's Dragoon, he had like this story mm. where they wear those kind of hats, like the big old tall hats like that. He always kind of that, yeah. that hat reminded me of those drawings, which kind of interesting because they did Pan's Dragoon, which is based on that art. So I I don't I don't think they got it from his art, but it just reminds me of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Uh, another character I want to talk about briefly, Mew. Mm. So, um, or Beast, or Rith. So you see what I'm yeah. talking about here? So, uh, again, Jet Set Radio, she was called Beast or Bisu. In Jet Grind Radio, she was called Mew. Mm -hmm. I hated that name change because I, pl I played the Japanese original. And then when I played the uh, uh, Jet Grind Radio, I was like, oh, her voice sucks. 
I hate the name Mew. And now she came back again, and I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to call her Bisu. No, she's called Riff, which is such an unfeminine name. It's just an ugly name. I hate it. But it does sound like, <laughs> a, I guess, they're trying to do, like, the whole music thing, right? Tab, Riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. And, and you see that with a lot of them, though. So, like, one of the new characters, though, and this is where I was talking about kind of boring designs, uh, Jazz. It's just like a, a girl in a black shirt with tan pants and a scarf. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, put Jazz next to Corn, and yeah, they're in the same game, but like, st- style-wise, man, like, he must be a weirdo to her, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I also noticed a lot that they they uh, they made, like, bad guys uh, unlockable to play as. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. I kind of like it, though, because, I mean, when you play the first one, you're I always want to be like, oh, I want to play that character, or that guy from that game. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's cool. And so, yeah, so we had some returning rival gangs, some new ones. I think the funniest ones are the Doom Riders that look like guys in their, like, 50s who are kind of having a midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we also had Rapid 99, which, like, if you told me to draw them right now, I would forget. But they basically look like Harley Quinn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the pigtails? So... Yeah, so they kind of look like um, Love Shockers. Yeah, they look like the Love Shockers, but they're not the Love Shockers. And I don't think the Love Shockers are in this game. So I guess they're the... No, they are. See, that's where it gets confusing. I'm like, are the... Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I like I Googled it, and there's so much cosplay of of this. It's surprising. But those shorts are way too short to be in public. What the... Mm -mm, Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, how about the Immortals? They're just they're just mummies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It would have been cool if they if they made the Immortals like more like old school horror like monsters like kind of like Warner Brother monsters Frankenstein themed but like their own versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. I would have liked that. Uh, yeah. So you know, it's um, it's an eclectic mix. It's a cool mix. But like I was saying, personality wise, they're all kind of the same. Um, which isn't a problem, you know, like you're playing for the gameplay and you're playing for the quirky character designs. You're not playing to be like, man, I really wish my character was crying while he was skating, you know? Um, this is interesting too. So, uh, on the Jet Set Radio wiki, there are a room, there's a rumor that there are three unused characters by the names of Wave, Numa, and Czech. And these were in the game folders, only in the Japanese rumor, in the Japanese version. However, this rumor was proven false by a fan who checked the files, noting that there is no difference whatsoever except in the language files. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like Wave sounds like a character. Numa. Yeah. Check. I don't know. It does. I mean, maybe they were scrapped very early on. But uh, should we talk about music? Yeah, I mean, I guess we, I guess we. I, I like how I said the gameplay and the and the and the graphics sold it, but then I totally forgot about the music. Like Family Guy and Hideki, like these two things, they go hand in hand, right? So yeah, we have to yeah. talk about the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, music it plays a very major role in Jet Set Radio Future, so much so that Sega opted not to allow players to play their own custom music, despite. That being an option on the Xbox, that's another thing I pulled from that uh, earlier interview I talked about. They were like, oh, can we do custom music? He's like, no, because this music's 
good. You know, like, we don't want you playing to your shit. Um, So Hideki Naganuma and Richard Jolke returned, as did Guitar Vader. You like Guitar Vader, right? Yeah, I've listened to their soundtracks, mostly because of this. So, like, I looked up their soundtracks, and I used to have them somewhere. I don't know if they have them on Spotify now. But, yeah, they're they're not around anymore, but, yeah. They're cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New artists included BS2000, Scapegoat Wax, Kibo Mato, The Prunes, and The Latch Brothers. And it's worth noting, too, uh, Kibo Mato was the voice of Noodle for the very first Gorillaz album. So I remember, you know, at the time people were like, oh, if they make a third Jet Set Radio, Gorillaz should do some music. And there's kind of a connection there because you do hear Noodle's voice in Jet Set Radio Future. I thought that was cool. Um, and then if you want another connection, Tom Goes to the Mayor had a crossover with the Gorillas, So it's all one universe, I guess. Uh, what's, what's really crazy, though, so the Latch Brothers. Um, several of the new artists came as part of a deal with the Beastie Boys label Grand Royal, or Royale. And surprisingly, the partnership was announced just like two or three days before Grand Royal announced that it was closing by the end of August in 2001. So it was basically like August 27th, press release goes out. Grand Royale is doing music for Jet Set Radio, including new tracks from the Latch Brothers. And then Janu- and then like three days later, and we're closing our doors. <laughs> and you're fast. like, oh, they shit. Didn't even let the, they didn't yeah. even clear the check. Yeah. So uh, because of this, Jet Set Radio Future is one of Grand Royale's final projects. Uh so before we talk about like Latch Brothers and all those crazy guys, what is your favorite Jet Set Radio Future music track, uh, specifically from like the returning guys? Um, and are there, I mean, are there any tracks throughout the whole thing you hated? Um, you know what? It's funny because like when I first heard the like the soundtracks of like Jet Set Radio, it just wasn't yeah. up my like alley, right? I hated it. But the more I played the game, the more I'd be like humming the tracks. Humming the baseline. Humming the baseline is a great track. Um, Funk yeah. <laughs> Dealer. Um, Let Mom Sleep is the one that I think everybody remembers in the back of their head when they play this game. I also thought yeah. that that uh, that remix they did in this was really good. I liked it. Um, I'm trying to think of it. I can't even pick one. Like, there's so many tracks in this game that were like really really good. Um, but I'm pretty sure you have at least a top three, right? I do. Uh, I really like Technopathetic. Mm. That's the one where it's like, uh, isn't that the one that goes stop playing games? Is that the one? I'm trying to think. But Even a mommy I, I, changing names. I think so. Stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've been waiting much too long trying to find what's going on. That thing. Uh, I also liked um, uh, the butterfly one. Float like a butterfly. Fly like a butterfly. Uh, yeah. Fly Like Butterfly. Yeah, my friend and I at the time, we didn't know the lyrics, so we'd be like, fly, fly, fly. Like a baklava. <laughs> like a baklava. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a, a... We didn't know what they were saying. Built like a built like a built like a... a, a. Um, I like that one a lot. And I feel sorry, Richard Jocks, but I'm just like trying to think what did he contribute, and I don't have the, the track list in I'm front of me. I'm looking at some of it, and it seems that he did What About the Future, and he did the... Oh, that was a good and he one. Did the remix for "Let Mother Sleep," which was a was a good remix. Um, yeah, and yeah. He also did uh, "Grace and Glory," the BB Wright's mix. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I was kind of hoping there would be more like Miller Ball Breakers. That was a really good one from the mm-hmm. original. Um, but it had its own style. Uh, definitely changed with the Grand Royale stuff, which we'll get to soon. Um, I didn't outright hate any of the tracks, but I knew people who were like, I hate Birthday Cake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I met and a I lot think... of people that didn't like some of these tracks. Like, I think this is a lot of them repeated a lot, and they were really poppy. Maybe? I yeah. Uh, there were a few that were, like, really weird and goofy, like um, the Jesus Christ one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one. Jesus Christ was a superstar. Uh, a dope pimp daddy with a Lincoln Town car. He drove it real fast with the top down low playing chicken with the devil for the greatest applause like that's just goofy <laughs> um <laughs> uh scapegoat waxed aisle 10 i thought was probably the one that was like the weirdest addition uh if you look back to jet set radio it had that one track where it was um god i can't remember it but it was just like white guys singing remember that mm. uh, about the city yeah 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 so Scape- Scapegoat Wax's IL-10 is kind of like the, about the city of uh, Jet Set Radio. So in that regard, it worked, but like it did seem like a weird one. He's like singing about a girl in a, in a grocery store. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's pretty eclectic right there, but uh, let's get into the Latch Brothers. Okay. So... Uh, you, you mentioned that I wrote a lot about Jet Set Radio on the site, especially back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Uh, I think it came to its apex when I was going to do one of our Tuesday Tunes articles. And that was where... So we had this brilliant idea where we would write an article every day of the week. And it was themed to the day of the week. And then we soon realized that we were committing ourselves to writing, like... 40 articles yeah you know or something like that a month and it was just too much but uh so tuesday tunes we would sometimes just be like here's a song enjoy it and i think that's kind of fun you know it's kind of cool but i was like i want to do a little bit more so i'm gonna write a little bit about uh jet set radio future song let's see i'll pick latch brothers what do people know about the latch brothers let's look and i was not finding anything and i was like this is weird so i kept digging i started to find all these little articles about them I started piecing it together, and I'm like, this is a weird little story. So I'd argue that Segabits is one of the few uh, websites on the internet that actually has like the comprehensive story of the Latch Brothers and their involvement with Jet Set Radio Future. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to read the article. Okay. <laughs> I was going to cut shit out, but to be honest, I think it's interesting. And maybe we can snip this out sometime, throw it as its own little video out there. Um But let me kick it off. So, uh, leading up to the release of Jet Set Radio Future, Sega marketed the Latch Brothers very heavily. Now, you may be thinking in 2020 that this group was known at the time, but nope, they were pretty weird and obscure group of uh, musicians. And uh, talking of interviews, they have an interview in this Xbox Nation. I thought, man, this this is going to really help me because I got this after writing this article. It's it's a garbage interview. It's the guy just BSing an entire page. I can't believe they published it. Um, he's just like in character talking about like, oh, like we had a mouse and the mouse was like made of like electronic pizza. And he told us, and you're just like, what are you talking about, dude? Um, so with that in mind, the Latch Brothers, they're a unique addition to Jet Set Radio Future's soundtrack. 
for a few reasons. So they were brought in by Sega and Smilebit to contribute to the soundtrack, having never worked with Sega before or having contributed to the first game's soundtrack. And one member of the group was a very well-known artist in disguise. So to the public, the Latch Brothers were an elephant, a lion, and a rabbit wearing lab coats. But behind the scenes, and occasionally revealed in magazine articles from the time about the new artists joining Jet Set Radio Future's soundtrack, the Latch Brothers were Michael Diamond, Tick, and Wag. Michael Mike D. Diamond, known in the group as the Latch and Duke, is the most well-known of the trio, having been a founding member of the New York City hip-hop group The Beastie Boys, and co-founder of the record label Grand Royale. You know this guy, yeah, right, George? Yeah, I've heard of him, Mike D. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kenny Tick Selkido, uh, known in the group as Count Ticula, who you'll, you'll hear him throughout the soundtrack. Like, they'll be going, uh, Count, uh, Count Ticula, and you're like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, so he was a Grand Royale employee responsible for the label's college field representatives, which spread the word of the label's music to college radio stations. Tick is cited as being the one who struck the recording deal with Smilebit shortly after Grand Royale folded in 2001. The third member, Chris Wag Wagner, known in the group as Sir Pumalot, was the bassist for the band Mary's Danish and Mike Diamond's brother-in-law. So together, the three formed the Latch Brothers, dubbed a side project by Beastie Boys fans, which involved remixing tracks from Grand Royal artists and creating original music for Jet Set Radio Future. So Beastie Boy fan sites, they list uh, several artists the Latch Brothers have remixed. These include the ones you've heard on the Jet Set Radio Future soundtrack, as well as people like the Beastie Boys themselves, At the Drive-In, Murdered City Devils, etc., um, the only one I could find was at the drive-in online, so it's like really hard to find their stuff out there. It's probably buried in like some CD they handed out at a con- concert back in like 2001. Who knows? Um, of the eight tracks the Latch Brothers contributed to the game, three were remixes of tracks from Grand Royale talent, including Brand Van 3000's The Answer, featuring the well-known Jesus Christ thing I talked about, uh, The Prunes Rockin' the Mic, and BS 2000's The Scrappy. The five remaining traps from the group were specifically made for the game, including Latch Brother Bounce, Kodo Stomp, Count Latula, Ill Victory Beat, which became Professor K's tune of choice for the exposition scenes, and Me Likey the Pom the Poom Poom. <laughs> um, in listening to the eight tracks the Latch Brothers contributed to the soundtrack, there is a very eclectic and exotic nature to the music that perfectly suits Jet Set Radio Future. Much of their music can be heard in the sewer sections of the games, uh, which is a fitting place given the group's tendency for slower-paced tracks featuring echoes and distortion. Um, it's hard to put into words exactly, but their music just perfectly suits certain locations in Tokyoto. So despite per- producing music for the game, the Latch Brothers did not appear on the game's official soundtrack. Instead, the group's tunes appeared on the Jet Set Radio Future Music Sampler, which was a CD given away as a pre-order bonus and was jointly produced by Sega's Wavemaster and Grand Royale. Featured on the C- CD were 11 tracks, including eight of the six Latch Brothers songs. Uh, the Answer and the Scrappy were not included. Three, cha- three tracks from licensed artists that also did not appear on the official Jet Set Radio Future soundtrack uh, Kibio Mato, Russell Sims, and Skateboat Goat Wax, and two tracks from Naganuma and Jacques, uh, Concept Love and What About the Future. So as Grand Royale went out of business in 2001, 
and the music sampler CD released in 2002. It is the only one of the it's one of the label's final releases and the only commercial Latch Brothers album making it highly collectible to Beastie Boys fans. Oh, yeah. So following Jet Set Radio Future's release, Latch Brothers seemingly dissolved likely due to folding of Grand Royale. Still, the group uh, had a short-lived collection of very fun and incredibly quirky remixes and original tunes worth checking out. So George, who do you have memories of uh, the Latch Brothers uh, doing interviews, being talked about at the time. What do you think of their music? I never even knew about this whole thing until you wrote about it on the website, and I sat down and read it, and then mm-hmm. I looked more into the Latch Brothers. And right now, I was actually just look doing a little bit of Google search about like what releases, and like you said, it yeah. only had that release, the sampler that was official. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of bad that I mean, I was talking we're. You know how I collect the vinyls from Sega when they release them in data disc? Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to yeah. get this released. And if we do, I don't think you'll have Latch Brothers music for what it seems like because mm-hmm. Grand Royale's down. And as far as the music, mm-hmm. I liked it for for the soundtrack. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm surprised. Like, I don't feel like they took it seriously and they didn't want to promote it. Like, they were just being cost... Like, you could say I'm Mike D from... Uh, uh, from uh, Beastie Boys, and uh, I'm on this yeah. soundtrack. That would have sold more copies of Jetson Radio Future than doing an interview about a mouse. Um, so to yeah. me, it's kind of a weird deal. I don't know how much Sega paid for this, but do you think they changed the tune of the soundtrack because they're in it? Or like, I don't, it's just such a weird deal with Sega. Like, they never worked together. There had to be something here, right? There's like a, a deeper story yeah. here. There's got to be. I I really think it was kind of a give and take. So they might have been like, you can utilize a lot of Grand Royale's tracks, but you also have to give us the opportunity to make some original songs. And maybe there was a back and forth of how many, or maybe Latch Brothers were just like, look, let's make a bunch of music. And Sega were like, you know what they say, the more the merrier, let's take it in. Um uh, but wh- I think what's really interesting is Latch Brothers, because they did so much for the soundtrack, they really kind of take it over. Like the game, Jet Set Radio Future's soundtrack is like, feels like it's half Latch Brothers, which is a large amount when you consider the original game, maybe felt more like 25% Hideki Nakanuma. Mm. And I, I don't know how Hideki feels about the Latch Brothers. I'm sure he doesn't care. But like, when I think of Jet Set Radio, I think of Hideki. Same. When I think of Jet Set Radio Future, I think of the Latch Brothers. Like, I know Hideki did a few tracks, but when you look at the playlist and you play the game, you are constantly hearing Latch Brothers songs. And there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe it might feel like kind of an invasion to some people. Like, why are they given this special treatment? Mm. Um, it is weird, though, because like you said, they don't promote it as a Beastie Boys guy doing the music. Maybe that was kind of went along with it. He's like, look, I'll do the music, but don't use me. Don't use Beastie Boys. Like, I am I just want to make some fun music for a game. And maybe that's what it was, you know? I mean, you get that sometimes with actors. They'll be like, I'll do a, a cameo, but I'm not doing press tours. I'm not... Don't put my name on it. It's just for fun. Yeah. You know what you I mean? You get that a lot with artists. Like, I, I think if they wanted to do kind of like a costume band or like uh, that kind of thing, they probably should, at the time yeah. it would probably would have been smarter to do like like the gorillas 
at the time. Like yeah. that would have been, I think, a pretty big get for them. I don't know how much yeah. this cost them. I was going to tell you, did you know that there's a company that releases vinyls, unofficial vinyls, and they released a Jet Set Radio Future uh, soundtrack with the Latch Brothers album Mm-mm. things? They also, no. they, I looked at the company that's doing it. They're called Blood Code Records, and this is the third hmm. release, and I looked into their discography of other stuff they released. Uh, Sonic and Knuckles original soundtrack they also uh, did on vinyl, which is kind of weird. It's just like... I guess there's a company out there, uh, and these all came out last year, so it's like that's interesting. It's totally against the law, just letting you know. But I know you're a collector. It's expensive yeah, too. Yeah, you're looking at it. Jesus Christ, three hundred and fifty bucks is the only one I see for sale. Yeah. So there you go, another another wow. thing to put into your uh, wish list <laughs> on your Jetsy Radio collection. And um, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, so I'm gonna ask you this since. Uh, you're the collector. You collect a lot more Jet Set Radio stuff than me. What mm-hmm. was there that much? Um, I guess you could say um, tie-in products with this. Like, was there toys? Um, no. no. Yeah, that, that's a big. Uh, I guess now we got more stuff than we've ever had for Jet uh, Jet Set Radio. Like, uh, insert coin yeah. has T-shirts and uh, and other little things. And Sega Shop seems to be going to be opening up for more of this kind of things but like what would you like to see replicas of like obviously the spray bottle yeah so what they made for jet set radio future there was a a action figure from i think game pro Mm -hmm, i remember that um and joyride studios and then there was a quote-unquote like concept one that was basically just like gray plastic Mm. um so i have that i think i have two of the beat action figure colored um, because I opened one and then I found one on eBay for like 20 bucks. I was like, I might as well. Um, there was an All-Stars racing uh, toy car of Beat. True, yeah. Uh, which is the Jet Set Radio Future one. But outside of that, like there really isn't anything except soundtracks. Um, even like exclusive giveaways from Sega, which, you know, you and I sometimes oh, get. Oh, yeah, yeah, We got the um, Jet Set Radio hoodie with the gray yeah yeah so there's a lot of cool uh stuff from the original game that sega game out gave out to game journalists but because jet set radio future just didn't have a re-release like there isn't much out there what i'd like to see though are maybe like little figurines of the characters i think that'd be fun like uh, a gotcha gotcha pon you know like the capsule toys that would be really sweet like do all 24 of them i don't care um, the vinyl, the wall vinyls I talked about, bring those back. Uh, I have Bisu on my wall at Riff, um, but I'd love to have more. Uh, the the spray can, that would be cool. Like, it makes the sound effects or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there's a lot they could be doing. It's a very unique art style. They just haven't been, you know? And that's how it goes with Sega, right? All these games, you will, like a long list of games. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the reviews. Uh, the reviews for the game, they were positive at release, averaging around 8.9 out of 10. Lots of praise for the large levels and impressive graphics. IGN called it one of the coolest titles around, but said that it falls, it fails to reach classic status because it was not enough of a challenge. GameStop, GameStop, GameSpot described it as one of the better Xbox games to date and disagreed with IGN claiming the game offered a serious challenge. Do you agree with these assessments? Uh, I agree more, I think, with GameSpot, but I think if you really wanted to, like, nitpick 
on Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future, I feel like sometimes, like the game would be super easy and you'd be having an all right time, and then you get to this one section for no reason. They like, oh yeah, you have to pinpoint accuracy or you fail, and it's like, what? Wait, yeah. what? And then you beat that part, and then it's not that hard anymore until like the end. So that was one. Mm-hmm. That was one of my issues. I'm surprised none of these people called it out on it. And I feel like the sewer yeah. level is that on on future for a lot of people, like you said. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I guess I th- I thought that it, it did have challenge. Like, you, I mean, to lock everything, it's really really hard. I thought it was hard. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm I'm just not very good at these games. What do you think? Um, I mean, I think it was a valid assessment from them i uh i do think the difficulty level was not it it definitely was not balanced um then again i think it kind of works for this type of game like it's very sketchy uh so it's definitely not like fine-tuned to the point where they're like we're gonna ease you into it have a level of progression tell you you know you learn the move you know you see people talk about sonic games and they're like the first level is really a tutorial of how the whole game works you know like that's not going on here. They're just kind of like, go at it, have fun. And you're like, this game's hard. Oh, now it's easy. Um, uh, and then the sewer level, obviously. Yeah. But um, I want to go back and try that again, because I feel like the sewers are probably not as hard as we think. Maybe they are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, despite the positive scores, the game becoming a fan favorite, uh, it did not sell well. So... <laughs> Uh, the game itself sold quite poorly in its home country. It's worth pointing out that the Xbox itself was a bomb in Japan. Yeah. Between launch day of February 22nd to March 31st, only 190,092 units of the 250,000 launch day consoles sold. If you want a comparison, the PS2, it sold 980,000 units in its first three days. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jet Set Radio Future and Smile Bits follow up Gun Valkyrie sold abysmally, dismally. Uh, Jet Set Radio Future came in at less than 10,000 units two months after launch. So, with that in mind, think of this there are 190,000 Xboxes in Japan. Only 10,000 of those people picked up Jet Set Radio Future. Idiots, you know, idiots. like it's it's not exact. It's not exact. No, not exact. But, but obviously, uh, they weren't that interested in this game, and uh, obviously, yeah. was a mistake. <clears throat> I would say on the Xbox. Yeah. Um, video game charts, which I know is unreliable, but let's just read their numbers. Uh, they said Jet Set Radio Future has since sold thirty thousand units in Japan. 40,000 units in Europe and 130,000 in North America. And this, and so this is with, with, like, with them these, giving it up, like, for free when you bought an Xbox. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, so do you think these figures fare uh, for a sequel? Uh, I, I Well, no, uh, definitely not. I feel like <laughs> the game has become more popular after release because of, you know, younger kids playing their older brother's Xbox or finding the game used and giving it a try. And uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's why there's a lot of these new people that are like, oh, we need a new sequel. And they're always kind of like, oh, I grew up with the Xbox, right? Um, I think yeah. the word of mouth probably made it more popular. I, th- I think 
there is a fan base out there for a sequel, but I think right after Xbox came out, not really, because like these numbers are not that great. I think if the game was on GameCube, maybe it would have sold b- mm-hmm. better because I looked at GameCube numbers and like a lot of Sega fans bought Sonic Adventure, even though it was just a port, and uh, even Virtual hmm. Fighter Four did really really well, sold over a million copies just in America. On the PS2, so yeah. I think it's it, it could have been an Xbox problem. What do you think? Probably. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, I think just jet, just Xbox alone was like, you know, like put up the cross and keep the vampires away to the Japanese. Yeah. Um, Xbox Nation magazine again. They would have uh, like reports from Japan from this guy, and he would always be like, "No one likes it here." <laughs> You know, they're selling it in the back like it's dirty porn. They'll put it in a black bag and send you on your way. It's not like, you know, they give you the big themed bag and it's clear and people see it and go, wow, you got the PS2. No, it's like, oh, you got the American Xbox. Um, (laughs) I don't have it here in the notes, but there was like this one bit where uh, a guy said, a Japanese guy said that if he went to a girl, a cute girl's house and she had an Xbox, he would, it would be off-putting. Because it's like a manly looking console. Yeah. And like, why would a girl have it? It's like, all right, dude. I, I wouldn't like, mind. I would like, be like... Like girls are inviting you yeah, over. Yeah, I know. On. Exactly. Like, Japan, what is wrong with you? This is why they're low birth rate, right? They're so like, oh mm-hmm. my God, this girl has an Xbox. Sorry, I can't sleep with you anymore. I have standards. <laughs> Even though they like, yeah. he liked her until the Xbox came in the room. So... Honestly, I think like if you go into a Japanese girl's house and she has the Xbox... What's wrong with that? Like, that's... I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, you were saying, so, like, people grew up with the Xbox. This kind of became their game. Uh, Jet Set Radio Future, it's one of the many Sega games that deserve support to modern consoles. Well playable on the original Xbox and Xbox 360, though not perfect. And I think not perfect means that if you play... Uh, in many areas, as certain characters, the game will like slow down to a crawl. And I've heard this is because certain characters, like Corn, has this flowing coat, so I think too much is going on in the game, and it just kind of breaks it. Mm. Uh, it's still playable, though, on the 360, but it never made that leap from 360 to Xbox One. And however, you know, we have Series X coming out, I don't think we're going to be seeing Jet Set Radio Future ported. I think it's well worth the time and effort, though. This isn't Gun Valkyrie. Like, I know that's a game they left behind on the original Xbox, but, like, Jet Set Radio Future, you've done the HD port of the original. Like, come on. And they they did a Um, really good job on the uh, original HD port of the first one. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a really... Like, the uh, Jet Set Radio HD, it, like saves the game in a lot of areas like the camera thing people complain about it, it fixes yep. it uh widescreen uh 60 is it 60 frames per second i think it, it felt is. like it might um, be 30 but it's smooth for sure yeah yeah and it was even playable on uh like ipad and vita like that's crazy so why not jet set radio future come on let's get it um let's get it uh, as far as cameos jet set radio has joined sega's stable of all stars that appear every so often mm in crossover games in Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing Jet Set Radio Future version of Beat is seen driving the Dela custom GG's 
car. Uh, and the game features Tokyoto tracks inspired from the game. While the franchise has several cameos, this is the only time Jet Set Radio Future saw representation. Tennis, Transformed, and Sega Heroes all use the original designs. And, yeah. So, yeah, so why do you think Sega prefers the original designs over Jet Set Radio Future for cameos? Because if I remember, like, they prefer Night's Journey into Dreams. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? No, no, I... I... And it's I like, think, well, you want to hear, I mean, I'll tell you, I think it's because they tell see me. the number of sold units and they go, this yeah. is the de facto uh, design. So we also have this with um, with uh, Streets of Rage. Uh, when they do anything with Streets of Rage, it's always part two. Um, yeah. So I feel like maybe they see the numbers and they're like, it's sold, because I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure because I just bought... I bought the game when it came out on Dreamcast, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there was an All Stars version of it, wasn't it? Where it was a high selling game that it sold. A, it was one of the top sellers, at least on Dreamcast. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I think they just think, oh, yeah, it sold the most on this, so we're just gonna use those designs. They're more popular. That's what I think. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there is there is one cameo that Jet Set Radio Future was in. It was the No Doubt music video for Hella Good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're playing it. So, I mean, there's that. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it did, I guess it didn't take off, but I love the designs of these characters in Jet Set Radio Future, and it's just a shame they don't do it more often, um, especially with Transformed, which used the original ones, but when you're racing around, I almost feel like the tracks feel like Jet Set Radio Future. Um, I might be wrong, but I think Jet Set Radio Future characters appear on like the sides of the tracks, like hanging out. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to look back. Um, so yeah, so since Jet Set Radio Future's released, the Jet Set Radio uh, series has seen only playable cameos and a remaster of the original there has been a few third-party pitches which do you want to talk about that i, I don't know we did a video and people hated yeah, it yeah and i i can see why they they hated it because like a lot of people are excited to have a third game so they want a third game no matter mm-hmm. what and then we went in there and we're yeah. like oh this team has not have a like a great history of making console games so i don't think it's a good idea and then we kind of like trash the the redesigns they did for this game um yeah and you know what looking back they're not that terrible i think we were kind of overblowing yeah. the oh my god they don't it's not exactly like a future um mm-hmm. it, it's a cool concept but it, that's what it is it's like a concept and what i said before i still say today i would like to see more i think franchises like jetsa radio should have people that worked on the original i think Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I don't know, like that Streets of Rage 4 really has me excited. So maybe I'm changing my mind now that all these companies did like the Wonder Boy. They brought uh, those kind of franchises back. Maybe there is an, an American company that could do the game justice. I would have, I would love to see the franchise be brought back regardless. Uh, but what's mm-hmm. your thoughts on it now that we uh, got hated on? Yeah, so those two, there was uh, Jet Set Radio Wii, which we didn't talk about in the video I'm talking about. <laughs> And then Jet Set Radio Evolution. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, and I still share this opinion, uh, and I've said it before throughout this episode, Jet Set Radio is a Japanese game. And I think there's a lot to be said about the Japanese experience 
and developers creating content, telling their story. And I think because the Japanese are coming from the country of Japan, they don't really uh, feel as uh, uh, precious about this, Mm -hmm. you know, because to Americans, we have a lot of things going on here, like the African-American experience is very important. I'm not going to be wanting Get Out 2 to come out and be developed, be uh, uh, directed by some like white German guy. Like it doesn't make sense to me. So with that in mind, like I know Jet Set Radio isn't Get Out. But what I'm trying to say is that Jet Set Radio comes from a unique experience of being a Japanese person, developing games, being influenced by these Japanese things, and resulting in this very unique game. And I feel like Jet Set Radio Wii and Jet Set Radio Evolution were a reaction to Jet Set Radio rather than a reaction to Japanese culture and creating a game that would result in being Jet Set Radio. I think the Jet Set Radio Evolution um, designs were fine. I just felt like they looked like Jet Set Radio Future with more attachments. So it's like, let's give Gum a scarf and let's give them knee pads and add some more lines. Like it just seemed like you were adding to the designs rather than redesigning. Mm. And like if the original is Jet Set Radio, the sequel is Jet Set Radio Future, Jet Set Radio Evolution, like what is the evolution? Yeah. Like, what? what is it? You know, is it just more of the same? I don't know. Um, I know at the time I pitched an idea for a Jet Set Radio game taking place in 1950s Japan. Oh, steampunk. Um, not even steampunk. Just like uh, tube TVs, um, doo-wop music, uh. Uh, uh, kids in funny shorts. Like, you know, the Godzilla movies? Yeah. And you see the little kids. Yeah. And you see the culture. I thought that would be really fun and funny and... Again, a very Japanese thing. Uh, then again, you'd have to get these developers to come on and be like, all right, we're being influenced by what influenced our parents. So instead of hip-hop, it's rock and roll. Instead of rap, it's doo-wop. So um, it would, I think it would be an interesting concept. I think it's more interesting than Jet Set Radio Evolution. Then again, this is me favoring something. Yeah, I, I know. You're like, I'm better spot. than them, so forget it. Yeah, yeah right? Uh, I will admit they've done more than I ever have to pitch to Sega. But I think in the end of the day, if the original developers are not on board, Sega is not on board. And it's been like that for years, you know? I think they're they're finally um, kind of loosening their grips, you know? With the But, like, from what I hear, I'm assuming that they're still getting character approvals. Like, I, this new Streets of Rage yeah. game is being approved. I do know that the Wonder Boy uh, remasters and the relaunch, they had their own new games. Um, mm-hmm. The creator of that franchise is behind that. Like, they talked to him. So. Yeah. Yeah, and even, um, did you mention Crazy Taxi City Rush? Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, they had the creator of Crazy Taxi actually come in and speak to the team. So, you know, he shared his ideas. Um so yeah so where are we uh uh all right so um smile bit they had a busy 2002 before dissolving they released gun valkyrie panzer dragoon orta and baseball soccer and horse racing games before going away um as to where are they now director masayoshi kakuchi soon became a part of the core team behind the yakuza series Kikuchi became an executive producer for the series. He also produced Binary Domain 
and it was probably Kikuchi that brought Goji Rokaku into Yakuza, the original, as a guy who needed toilet oh, paper. Yeah. You yeah. remember that? I, they even yeah. have that. Mi- yeah. Did they have a mission again in the Kawami? I th- I think so, but the design didn't look yeah. like Goji. And uh, yeah. I think I don't know if that's the mission in that game where they're like, he's all bring me toilet paper or something. And you bring him toilet paper. He's like, no, no, two toilet papers. And then you go get two, and he's like, nah, three toilet paper. I'm like, dude, screw you, dude. Screw you. And then he gives you his business yeah, card, Yeah, I think right? so, yeah. And that's where you see Goji Rokaku. So, you know. Um, art director Ryu- Ryuto Ueda was instrumental in JSR and JSRF's visual style. On the Yakuza series, he served as lead designer and director for the first two games on the PS2. He also directed, wrote, and did design for 2011's Connect game Rise of Nightmares, a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> um, and then on March 31st, 2014, he left Sega. Uh, what was... Um, so... He directed the first two, correct? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, who's the games? Yeah, I, I'm not wrong on that, I right? Don't, Nagoshi uh, didn't do uh, it. I don't think he, he, he actually directed... Yeah, I don't think Nagoshi did it. I think he was like... what? I don't think he was director. I don't think he directed anything to tell Judgment of that series. Mm. Uh, I, I don't remember if he was the one that uh, directed those two first games. But mm-hmm. it makes sense that like he designed them and then he left. Because like uh, the first two games, design-wise, are very similar. And then when you play the third one, it's like revamped from the ground up you know 3d mm-hmm. camera and all that um what surprises you here that he left sega in 2014 because it, it kind of feels like he left a long time before that because like rise of nightmares the i mean i, I okay so when that game came out it didn't really feel like sega mm-hmm. had a lot of hype behind it right I mean, they did some interviews. They did some uh, showcasing of the game. They kind of tied it to House of the Dead, uh, talked about how it used some ideas that they never implemented. But, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, uh, it was a Kinect launch title, if I remember. It came shortly after. It was one of the few games to really utilize the Kinect in terms of, like, full motion movement. So that was something, but... uh, yeah, after that, he did mobile games for Sega. And they left... I don't know what he's doing now. Like, he's on Twitter, active, retweeting Sega Ages stuff. So maybe he's a consultant now? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I did notice that that he does retweet all that kind of stuff. Um, you you want to let yeah. everybody know what Hideki's doing right now? Yeah, right. So Hideki Naganuma, he continues to create funky music for games. Uh, he's never been a full-on Sega staff member. He reminds people that constantly. But, you know, he's there when they need him. And uh, currently, he is making Family Guy funny moments memes on Twitter. I don't, under, so you can I don't check understand that out. why he likes that, but all right, that's cool, my dude. I've I've heard him say he just likes the sound of the words Family Guy funny moments, <laughs> and he's like, I guess it's a show. I've never seen it. <laughs> wow, I, his, his profile picture is uh, Peter for Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm still waiting for the Family Guy remix. I think he'd do an awesome he job. Do it. Uh, you should, yeah, for sure. Um, so, looking back on Jet Set Radio series, Smile Bits, other titles, um, how would you describe Smile Bits' legacy, and how would you describe them in one word? Uh, funky, to describe them in one word, if I had to describe their, like, like if I had to put all their games in a pile, 
uh, diverse, um, and if I had to describe them in a work ethic, overworked. Um, so um, <laughs> those are the three words I would describe them as. They're very yeah. unique, right? So that's another word you could put in there. But the idea mm-hmm. that Sega was like, was like, all right, you're making these unique, um, I think, uh, games that were ahead of the curb, but at the same time, you're making them make horse racing games. Like, nah, like, it's. can you imagine having a young studio of people that are making these, like, urban games, right, that, like, kind of transcend, I think, like, what's happening at the time and then like you're like all right now you have to make a horse racing game and a soccer game it's like having nintendo do Mm -hmm. the same thing with splatoon right those teams they made a unique universe with like urban style uh graphics right and they got this huge fan Mm -hmm. base of people that love their art style and then now they're gonna make a soccer game that'd be weird yeah Yeah. uh yeah I i would definitely um if i were to describe them in one word eclectic it's uh, kind of all over the place. You wouldn't, if you take the name off of it, you would never think that um, Jet Set Radio Future and Panzer Dragoon Orto were the same team mm-hmm. that made them. Um, same with those weird soccer, like weird sports games, soccer games, horse rating games. Uh, kind of all over the place. I honestly think they were just tasked. I think they made the games they wanted to play and they made the games they were tasked with making. Uh, we were talking. I don't know how long ago it was, but we were doing some like um, 80s games. Remember that? We were talking about some studios that just like crank stuff out constantly, and then they get to like a game like, I don't know, Streets of Rage or something, and they're just like, let's put a lot of like love and TLC into this. Yeah. And then they move on, and they're like, let's crap out another one. Let's crap out another one. It's a penguin game, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think, in, with that in mind, like, if you. I, I think Smile of Its Legacy will be the games that people remember, obviously. I don't think the games that were either forgettable, poor, or just not localized here will ever bring them down. So, you know, we discussed that here with our favorite, you know, like how they rank amongst our uh, the Sega developers. I think the only thing lacking is a is more great games. I think they were capable of a lot more. It's just a shame that they had such a small amount of fantastic titles in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, but I think Jet Set Radio Future is a great game to go out on for them. I mean, it wasn't their final game, but it definitely was the last one a lot of people are still talking about and playing. Yeah, it's surprising um, that people talk about this game more than they talk about Pen's Dragoon Order because, like, I don't know, I feel like that's also a really large game for them. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, uh, if you have any other comments, I'm going to get into the memories people have, and we'll get an idea of just how... Yeah, so, if you support us on Patreon, you get this episode early. You also get to have your memories read at the end of the episode. Typically, we keep that Patreon only. However, uh, I think because in light of uh, coronavirus, yeah, yeah, sure. No, no. (laughs) I just wanted to throw this out there to see how many people would talk about it and to give you an idea of what it's like to be, uh, have your words come through my mouth. That's kind of weird. Um, Let's get into it. So uh, on Twitter, we've got rcruise41. He said it was one of the first games I actually mastered and got everything on and really felt a sense of accomplishment when it was all said and done. Challenging, but worth it. Congratulations. We have, yeah, congrats. Uh, Mithril Fox, 
The music is easily a highlight, but the combat is something else, especially the crazy boss battles and the introduction of Death Ball, which became one of my favorite multiplayer modes. Yeah, we got Elk PNP. Uh, he says, this was the first game I got after I found an Xbox a few years ago. You just found it? Okay. Uh, it was uh, great fun, plus it made a Kibomato fan out of me. I started looking up more of their music. I got my copy of the game and soundtrack signed by them at one of their concerts after Ooh, that, too. Oh, that's nice. cool. And, I mean, it's easy yeah, to find yeah, an yeah. Xbox. It's so big, you know. Just... <laughs> yeah, you bring that up. Can you sign this? Uh, that's uh, that's not cute. That's manly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have Ty Twinney. He says, one such memory be my palms feeling uncomfortably clammy and sweaty when at the final boss, and it wasn't the battle itself, rather my attempts at reaching the boss. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, Crazy Three Hair. He said, I ripped my favorite songs direct from the game to a tape deck and left it anonymously on my biology teacher's desk, who I had crush on. Wow. Uh, complete with in-game sounds. Never heard anything about it. Uh, let's see. We'll read a few more of these here. Um, <laughs> we've got... Uh, I like that one. Uh, we got... Sybil music. Getting my final character unlocked was my crowning achievement. I remember getting zero beat last because I completed the challenge to the area without realizing it. So I kept doing it over and over again, wondering why the tape wouldn't show up until I ran past it on accident. And, uh... I'm not reading that one. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, 8 Bits Per Craig says, after finally buying the game in 2004... I sang Aisle 10 every day in the shower for at least a month. I think we all do. And uh, what's, a, what's, what's a good one uh, to finish on? Uh, Peta Man says, is it backwards compatible on Xbox One? Well, no, it's not, but I wish it was. It's not? Uh, Get no. on it, Microsoft. Get on it, Microsoft, Sega. Sony, Nintendo. Whatever, just get just give me another copy of the game on... Amazon. Just re-release it on the new... There's so many games that Sega should re-release, we would be here all day talking about it. I know. I know. I know. Well, maybe we'll talk about one on the next episode of Sega Talk. Bye. Bye. See? That's how you end it. Oh, what? Come on. The streets are in trouble again? Who's gonna rise to the call? Remember, the streets don't wait for no one.